Ellen Beth Sloan was a 52-year-old from Polson, Montana. She was an independent woman who unexpectedly ran into some tax evasion charges and was actually arrested. On April 15, 2005, she and her boyfriend were seen by friends at a local casino. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Heights, flying in a plane, spiders, getting blood taken, that's mine. The fears each of us have are almost as unique as our DNA. Even twins or triplets or quadruplets can have a variety of things that scare them despite having the same DNA. You could say our fears make us unique, even if most of the time they are neither real nor rational. But I bet I can get all of you to agree on a fear with just some simple, seemingly harmless phrases. An environmental protection agent wants to talk to you about your land. An officer of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration wants to see your workplace. And what could be the worst? There's something wrong with your tax statement. An IRS agent would like to speak with you. Then suddenly, all of our fears are aligned. I bring this up. Because that third statement, that's the statement Ellen Sloan heard in early 2005, and it threw her for a loop. She had fears of going to jail. But did this fear cause her to become a missing person? Or was it something else? Was it something more than a disappearance and taxes? And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Goodsight, charlieproject.com. Org. Ellen Sloan was an independent woman with a variety of interests and hobbies, but she always kept her eyes on her financial well-being and the future of her children. She worked hard and lived frugally, investing her money in real estate and other safe securities. Even so, she unwittingly faced federal tax evasion charges in 2005 from putting money into an investment in Belize. She was arrested but was released on bail. She had every intention, according to the people who knew her, to assist in the case even though she knew she might face jail time. At the same time, Ellen was involved with William Golson, the son of a friend of her mother's. They had a turbulent relationship fueled by Ellen's affinity for alcohol and Golson's gambling addiction. They had dated for a year before Ellen disappeared. Law enforcement is unsure of the date, but around April 16, 2015, they believe Ellen disappeared. In the days before, she and Mr. Golson had been seen by friends at a local hangout. However, also in the time before her disappearance, Ellen had called her daughter, begging for money. The reason? Ellen's assets had been frozen due to the tax evasion charges. Ellen's daughter promised to do whatever she could, but the daughter never talked to her mother again, and Ellen was never seen after the encounter with friends on April 15th. A month after Ellen's disappearance, her truck was found across the highway from the Missoula, Montana airport. 
Nothing inside the truck helped investigators to figure out what happened to Ellen. The factors complicating the resolution of this case are the following. The belief that Ellen fled because of the charges brought against her. The fact that William Golson never filed a missing persons report. And that Golson also disappeared shortly after Ellen did. Ellen's family, her lawyer, and friends dismissed the idea that she ran away. The interview for this episode is with Ellen's daughter, Brianne Edwards. Unfound news. Unfound reached its highest ranking ever, at least from what I know, on the Stitcher app. Number 70 in news and politics. Since I think Stitcher carries just about every single podcast in the English-speaking world, that means Unfound is 70th in the world in news. That sounds pretty cool to me. And it reached that level without me really pushing that particular app very hard. Once again, though, I just do the program. You, the listeners, make Unfound popular. Next, Unfound had its best month ever on YouTube. Over 567,000 minutes watched and 315 new subscribers. Once again, despite me not saying a lot about YouTube, except for when I post the Unfound live shows after they're on Facebook. I believe the Thomas Brown videos drove most of those numbers, and I anticipate the YouTube viewings to remain where they are, if not rise. Finally, I'll be in Pennsylvania starting July 11th. I'll be there for a month. The shows will continue, but I really do owe my parents some ed time. Frankly, when I was in South Carolina with them, I didn't give them as much time as I should have. So, I need to make up for that now. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, Podomatic, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. Concerning Facebook... Please join us on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern for the Unfound Live Show on the Unfound page. You can email the program, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. The website, unfoundpodcast.com. The website at Trib Total Media, triblive.com forward slash news forward slash unfound. Unfound has Patreon and PayPal accounts. Your contributions provide for many of the items guests have received so far. I cannot thank all of Unfound supporters enough. This week, I need to congratulate Nadia and Jeremiah for winning a contest we had in the Unfound podcast discussion group last Saturday. They won a couple books. Unfound merchandise, volumes 1, 2, 3, and 4. Yes, it's out. They're all on Amazon right now in both paperback and ebook form. Let's work on trying to get some great reviews for volumes 2, 3, and 4. If you've bought them... Please give them a nice review. The playing cards. Go to makeplayingcards.com. Do a search for Unfound Podcast. Search for almost all of Unfound's cases at unfound-podcast.myshopify.com. That includes the flagship t-shirt, The First Year Cases, that has a collage of everyone from Suzanne Lyle to Jennifer Wilkerson in it. Please check it out. And please mention Unfound on all true crime Facebook pages and other websites and forums. Thank you. I'm so fortunate to have on this episode of Unfound the daughter of Ellen Sloan, Brienne Edwards. Brienne, welcome to Unfound. Thank you so much, Ed. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Let's start here. What kind of mother was Ellen Sloan? And maybe a specific question. Does she have any other children besides you? Uh, my mom was a great mom. and um, 
it I do have a younger brother, Jake, and it is easy to say that um, he and I were her world and um, very present, very um, involved, just, you know, if we ever needed her, she was undoubtedly there for us. Mm -hmm. And um, even more than being a mom, she was so excited to be a grandma. Mhm. When you had ch- and you have children yourself, is that what you mean? Uh yes. Um okay. we lost her shortly after my oldest daughter was born. Okay. And so you have a, a younger brother, Jake. How old is he? How many years younger is he than you? Yeah, he is just 2 years younger than me. Okay. Okay. Um, am I guessing that your mother, Ellen, and your father divorced? Or um, can we talk about that? Did your father play a role in your upbringing? Uh, did she and your dad, what happened there? If we can ask. Sure. No. Um, I, my brother and I both have a very good relationship um, with both of our parents, even after their divorce. And, um, you know, it, their divorce wasn't anything very traumatic for my brother and I, other than, you know, our parents weren't getting along and they've decided to go their separate ways. Um, we were both teenagers at the time. So, um, but upon their divorce, that's when my mom moved to Montana and my dad stayed in Colorado where my brother and I were born and had grown up. Okay. So um, I'm guessing if you had any activities, your brother activities, your mother was there, um, you know, cheering you on or whatever you were doing, the kind of mother she was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just because of um, family circumstances and mostly me being a teenager that thought I knew exactly what was best for myself, I actually ended up staying in Colorado with my dad and just visited my mom in the summer. Um, Mm -hmm. She made regular trips to see me in Colorado for events or prom or birthdays Mm. Um, and vice versa. When my my brother was in Montana, he lived with my mom and for state wrestling weekends or football games, you name it, um, my dad and I would travel to Montana um, Mm -hmm. to be there with him. Okay. Cool. What was your, uh, your mother worked? What did she do? Um, she, she liked to do a lot of different things. My whole life, um, definitely kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, a smart businesswoman, very wise and frugal with her money. Um, growing up, she had an interior design store and, um, you know, kind of had done that until she and my dad divorced and um, she decided to move to Montana at that point. And um, once in Montana, she owned a couple different businesses, made some real estate investments. And um, I think because she was so frugal with her money, she, you know, could, her jobs really, she took because they were fun because Mm -hmm. she enjoyed that 
you know, so whether it was working in a framing store, you know, making custom frames for pieces of artwork, um, owning a video store, um, helping one of her good friends repair docks after an icy winter. I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that we would find her doing. And, um, and, you know, some of those jobs lasted years and some of them were, you know, just for a season, just so that she had something to do. Mm -hmm. So she had made some investments that allowed her to just take jobs that she wanted to do. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask if she was a millionaire or anything, but she was comfortable. She was comfortable with what she was doing in her life. She had investments and, and things. She didn't have much to worry about, you would say. Yes, I would absolutely agree with that. Okay, great. Great. So independent businesswoman, uh, that's who Ellen Sloan was. But we do have to talk about something that that could be an issue uh, with her disappearance. And we're going to talk into maybe a little bit more of the business side. But she did struggle with drinking, didn't she? Yes, and definitely more so after my brother graduated from high school. And um, so then neither of us were there with her. And, you know, I would, to be honest, like it wasn't something that I necessarily recognized as a problem as Mm -hmm. a child or even as a teenager. Um, You know, she just, it it was just kind of how it was. Like she always had a cord light in her hand. And, um, you know, I think as my brother and I grew up and were homeless and less, I think that that um, demon or addiction, you know, probably took over a little bit more. But, I mean, there was definitely times that we worried about about her just because addiction runs in her family. And mm-hmm. without us there, you know, kind of imagining her battling us on her own without any support system was scary. But, I mean, she always assured us that you know mm-hmm. she was fine and nothing had changed and um you know and it wasn't really until right before we lost her that you know I think we both really realized maybe what a dangerous frame of mind she was in okay so. okay so would you maybe say that might have um gotten worse because a little bit of empty nest syndrome you know you being gone and your uh, younger brother maybe going on to other things after high school. Do you think that? I mean, that does happen. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Because um, you know, we know that once my brother, um, he actually moved back to Colorado to attend college. Um. So we were both in Colorado, and um, you know, a lot of her friends were friends because. They were the parents of my brother's friends. I mean, that's pretty normal when you have kids playing sports together and, you know, mm-hmm. small town, that's that's your circle. Um, but we did hear that, you know, she kind of cut herself off from those families after the boys graduated. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. we knew, like, when I would go and visit her, you know, oh, let's, you know, her friends were always at the bar. Mm. Colton sits on a reservation, so bars and casinos or, you know, gambling is 
I mean, it's everywhere. And anytime she's like, let's go stop by and say hi to my friend, it was always at a bar. Okay. Okay. Uh, To your knowledge, I mean, uh, did it get bad enough? Did she ever get caught drinking and driving? Any DUIs, anything like that? Maybe just give the listeners an idea to your knowledge. Not to my knowledge. I mean, I, I can honestly say, like, I never saw her fall down drunk, you know, out of control. I also know that, you know, if I was there visiting and she had been drinking, I think was as responsible as you can be with having that lifelong addiction. Okay. All right, let's move on to this because I know that anybody who has uh, looked up Ellen's disappearance before this interview has found this legal situation uh, that she got herself into. And I think it it plays a prominent part in this disappearance because I think it has allowed the police to think some things maybe that aren't true. Um, Can you – I know neither of us I don't think are legal tax or business experts, but – Maybe in a nutshell, can you explain what happened for her, you know, and this court, uh, this maybe this um, these charges against her, assets frozen in a capsule for the layman. What exactly happened there? Sure. So to my knowledge, um, she was being charged with tax evasion. And the, the bottom line of it was that she had invested money in a company that was basically operating as an offshore tax shelter. And again, that's just my layman understanding of the situation after mm-hmm. talking to her attorney and the U.S. Marshal that um, did arrest her and kind of process her. And um, prior to this out, you know, she had told me that she was investing in a company that was purchasing property in Belize. She had made a couple of trips to Belize. Um, you know, but my mom was not one that's like, you know, she was very frugal. Mm-hmm. She never complained about having to pay her taxes. She never said any, like, she was like anti- government or you know like mm-hmm. that's really you make money you pay taxes that's so she had um some investments in belize and um what first of all when did this happen when did she first get wind of something was going on with the way that she had her investments set up it would have been early 2005 is when i think she probably figured it out um, because that's when kind of the just how she was calling and the conversations we were having, it's when I noticed a definite shift in her attitude. And, hmm. you know, there was a fear there that wasn't typically there. And, um, you know, and I found out after she disappeared that right around that time is when, you know, she was arrested and the charges were brought forth. And so, you know, those questions were answered for me. 
mm-hmm. as far as why all of a sudden she was worried about money and why she was asking to borrow money and um, why there was that panic okay. um, for her. So this started, once again, we'll remind the listeners that she disappeared uh, April 16th, we believe is the date. And we'll get into why that might be a little off one way or the other, but April 16th, 2005. So about four months before this, three months before this is when she found out that something was going on with her investments. Yeah, I would say, I would say a month, maybe two before oh. the disappearance. Okay, so that's so, I mean, that, that close. All right. mm-hmm. Okay, and as you, when you found out about it, maybe even after the fact, after her disappearance, I mean, did she get wind of this beforehand, or was it something along the lines that a marshal just showed up at her door one day? And unfortunately, I don't know that. Okay. Um, the conversation I had with the U.S. Marshal, um, you know, my questions were obviously on, do you have any idea where she mm. could be? And, you know, and then he was explaining to me his involvement as best he could with an ongoing investigation. But his feedback to me was that she was being very cooperative. She was determined this because she felt she had anything wrong and um you know and and it was with talking to him that I did agree to have him issue a warrant for her and the way he put it was there will be that many more people looking for her okay um he agreed with me and that he's like your mom doesn't like he's like this is the most bizarre phone call he's like I work with people every day that would absolutely run against charges lesser than this but your mom was very insistent that she was going to fight this and she you know was going to be cleared and that's usually not the attitude you get from somebody that just wants to give up and run right now you did say that she ended up asking you maybe other people for money is that are we is that to mean that she had all of her assets frozen, any, frozen, anything in her bank accounts, any investments, like in the stock market, anything, anything they were all frozen? Right. Um, yeah, she had a money market account that was frozen, and, you know, that's where she kept the bulk of her money. Whatever money she had sent to this scam obviously was lost, and... Mm-hmm. That was hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, So I really, I do think when her money market was frozen, just that panic of, you know, I mean, it's not that she needed a lot to live on, but she didn't know how this was going to go. And I think her relationship played into feeling like she needed more money. Right. um, Right. At her disposal. Right. Right. And we're going to talk about that and him in a second, but, I mean, how big were these charges? Let's just say she was convicted of them. Could she have spent a lot of time in jail? I believe she was facing jail time. Um, If I remember correctly, you know, it was in the years, um, Mm. but not decades. I mean, so, I mean, it, it was definitely a very serious situation. Um, 
but we did find evidence that she had already started working on refiling those tax returns. Because um, what happened is you and she invested with this company and the company had a CPA that actually did the tax returns for all of their investors. So part of moving forward was re or redoing those tax returns for those years so that she could be with IRS and Okay. Um, um, and we, when we went through her house, we found the paperwork that she was, you know, she was actively working on fixing this. Okay. Uh, let's say she doesn't go to jail. Is there any possibility, though, that she would have had a lot of her wealth taken away or something? I mean, even if she hadn't gone to jail, would the, the government, um, I don't know, repossessed it or confiscated it or what do you what is your idea you know all these years later about that um i mean i i believe that whatever money that she had invested in this group um was it was fun i i'm sure again without knowing exactly mm-hmm. how that works but okay. you know i'm assuming said government organization you know, like crime, they, they take that. And so I know that that those thousands of dollars were probably gone regardless. I don't know if you can even apply to have any of those assets returned, but you know, so it was, it was a lot. And as far as I know, she wasn't asking for that back. She was just, I mean, I do, I think she was trying to avoid jail and clearing her name. And then just trying to move forward with what she had left. Okay. Would you portray this as her probably being just the victim who got caught up in something? I mean, she obviously was not the mastermind of something. She wasn't scheming, but was she an unwilling pawn maybe in, in this? Is that how you would describe it? I, I, yes, that is, I think that she was somehow presented with this, if you will, of being able to invest in something that would provide her a place to travel to. She loved traveling to the beach. Um, you know, I she had invested in real estate multiple times before, um, especially in years prior to um, this one, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't think it's it's not like this far thing that she never invested thousands of dollars into the venture. Um, okay, you know, and I do think she has a certain naive way of looking at the world and always wanting to see the good in people that um you know, her first reaction would not be like, wait, this might be too good to be true. You know, I just, that goes against who she is. And this was not something where, I mean, we probably, we know this most about like famous people, maybe musicians or athletes that, uh, some play where they're trying to avoid taxes, you know, they're trying to hide it here, hide it there, or just aren't paying them straight out. This was not that kind of situation. No, I mean, I don't think it could be. I mean, she, you know, she was working maybe part time. Mm-hmm. 
the money that she would get from buying and selling real estate, I mean, she was, if she sold a piece of property, she was buying something else, you know, so there's a tax rate. And again, definitely don't understand the Montana um, tax laws and things like that. But, you know, I, she had enough money in her accounts that to be able to pay taxes on her transactions. So it just, that part of it definitely doesn't make sense to me. Okay. One more question about this and we're going to move on. You had an opportunity to talk to her attorney who was representing her uh, in this, I'm guessing after she disappeared. Uh, what did her attorney say about the probability of her fleeing because of this case? He was completely baffled. Um, he totally agreed with my brother and I that there. he said that there was such a strong possibility of her being able to walk away from this after presenting her case. And he was like, the most important thing to her was that she be able to move forward without anybody knowing. Like, she was so embarrassed mm -hmm. by this. She, I believe she did tell her dad, um, but she told her attorney and the U.S. Marshal that she did not want any of us to know. She didn't want her yeah. kids to know. She didn't want her siblings to know. Um, she wanted to do what she needed to do to get this done and over with so she could move forward. And her attorney, you know, he kept saying that. Like, there, like there's nothing about any of my conversations with your mom that would make me think she was a flight risk. Okay. In the world that she would really be able to walk away from this relatively unscathed, you know. It, okay. All right, let's move on to this. Uh, having now talked about her legal situation, once again, because I know that uh, that is a, a part of her story in this disappearance. Um, if you go to Charlie Project elsewhere, you're going to see that. Let's talk now about William Golson. Who is he? William Golson was my mother's boyfriend, and I never met him. My brother did a couple times and um, my brother after the first meeting with them said we have to figure out how to get mom away from him. Hmm. How did how did uh, William and your mother meet? Do you know? I am I know my mom was friends with his mom. Um they so I'm assuming at the bar that they would be at together. Um, I do know that William was very controlling. I witnessed that when she came to visit me after the birth of my first child. Um, she would leave the room to talk to him and he would call and text her all day long. Um, mm. and it, you know, just my mom and I have always had a very open relationship and for her to leave the room and shut the door to talk on the phone was weird. Okay. So, 
All right. And when did maybe we should, uh, I should ask you this. When did they meet? If she disappeared April of 2005, when did they meet? Um, I am going to say it was probably close to a year. Um, so probably the spring, the previous spring, um, because they were, um, definitely well involved when my brother came up that summer and then the, for the holidays of 2004, you know, that's the two times that he met, um, William. So, um, but again, like as open as my mom and I were, she was not open with us about her relationship with him. Okay. So your younger brother got to see him a couple times. You never met William Golson at all, even since your mother disappeared. You've never met him. No, I have not. Okay. And uh, you described as being a controlling relationship. Um, when they met, uh, was he working? Uh, where was he living? Because my understanding is eventually uh, he ended up living in your mother's house with her. Correct. Yeah. And I I know he um, had moved around a lot before um, getting into a relationship with my mom. And it does seem like pretty quickly they he moved into her house. Okay. All right. Things moved fairly quickly. Maybe it's because she knew William's mother. Maybe it's because of some other reason. And once again, did he work? Did he have a job? What did he do for money? I don't believe he had a job in Montana, and I could be mistaken. But mm-hmm. um, my understanding is that my mom was supporting him. He's giving him money for. Hmm. Anything and everything, including gambling. That was his big thing, right? Gambling. I think you told me in our prior conversation he liked the like the slot machines and things. I, yeah, I believe so. Okay. And in fact, we're going to get to that, but they were seen in a casino not long before she disappeared, right? By some friends or something? I, um, I believe that is the last time anybody that we were able to track down people seeing her alive. Okay. So your mother, maybe, you know, she has, still has this uh, drinking issue and then she has some um, legal issues starting maybe just a couple months before she disappeared. But all the while, the year before, uh, she's been in this relationship with William Golson, who, uh, once again, you haven't met him, but he doesn't sound like the greatest guy, you know, being dependent on her. Uh, but I do also have to ask about it. this. Is it true um, that he was or is a sex offender? It is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, can you just in general, being that this is a, a PG show, uh, explain uh, what the charges were and, and do you think that your mother knew about this? Um. My understanding of that case was that his daughter pressed charges against him for an incestual relationship. Hmm. I don't even want to call it a relationship, but right. Um, she was finally over the age of 18 and um, was in a good, solid, strong relationship getting married and wanted to press charges against him 
Um, and she did. And did this happen in, I'm I'm sorry, did this happen in 2005, 2004, long before your mother disappeared? Do you know the date of that in the timeline? Unfortunately, I don't know the date of it. I mean, it, it had to have been 2004 and it might explain why my mom was so secretive about her relationship with him because I had just had a baby girl. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and all I do know is that, you know, he finally went to court to face the charges, um, after, after my mom disappeared. Right. And we, and we will certainly talk about that. Uh, but once again, do you, do you think that at some point, once again, they had an, uh, a relationship starting in April 2004. Do you think at some point between April 2004 and April 2005 that she found out that there were these charges against him? I, I, it's such a small town. I mean, there had to have been. Okay. She had to have known, I think. Okay. But she never said anything specifically to you or your brother about them? Like, well, I just found out William's being charged with having a relationship with his daughter. Nothing like that ever happened. No. <laughs> okay. All right. So a lot going on in this relationship between Ellen and and William, and he doesn't sound like a very good guy. What do you? What did you find out? Um, being once again that you weren't in Montana, but what if you found out about those uh, days before the disappearance? And in fact, let's start here. You actually talked to your mother on April twelfth. Once again, just a few days before she disappeared. What was the content of that conversation? It actually worried you, didn't it? It did. I'm, my mom was such a easygoing. Like even when she was sad or upset, like she would, she wore her emotions on her sleeve, but she was still just believed everything would work out the way it's supposed to. And this one day, she called me in an absolute panic. Um, I mean, just, I mean, almost not making sense, talking so fast and furiously about, I need money. Does your brother still owe you money? Do you owe your brother money? I need, you know, can you send me money? Um, and it just, it was so weird. And I was so put off by it that, you know, our, it wasn't a bad conversation. It just, it wasn't making any sense to me. I'm sure I was sleep deprived with my infant. And Mm. I remember, you know, saying like, I will see what I can find. You know, I'll talk to my brother. Like, you know, what do you like? How much money do you need? And she's just like, I need whatever you can send me. And I was like, okay, (laughs) you know, I mean, you had being that, you know, being that you knew your mother like you did. Of course, we're talking about her working and having investments, real estate. You had to be somewhat bothered by this. Of course, you didn't know about these charges against her either. And she never brought those up, did she? Okay. No. All right. And she never explained. Did she ever explain like, didn't you ever ask her, you know, do you not have any money in the bank account or, you know? Well, I mean, because, I mean, that conversation was basically, you know, her just 
mm-hmm. venting for lack of yeah. a better word, just sure. asking question after question and me saying, no, like Jake and I are even like, what do you need? I just need money. You know? And it was like, I got off the phone and was just like, oh, that was so weird. And I yeah. tried calling her back later and left her a message and just, because I did talk to my brother and, you know, we couldn't figure out why she needed money. Last time we knew she had plenty. So, um, but that's what started, you know, the multiple phone calls from me to her every day, just, just checking on you, mom. Like I, you know, I can pull some money out of savings or let me borrow money from dad. Like, just tell me how much you need and how to get it to you kind of voicemails. Mm. But so when you were calling her back once again, this was a call we believe is on the April twelfth. So did you talk to her on April thirteenth thir- uh, or April fourteenth or April fifteenth or not? I never talked to her again. Never talked to her again. During this conversation on April twelfth, did Williams never ever come up? Like she said something like, "Well, I need money to give the bill," or William is threatening me, or anything like that. Did that ever come up in the conversation? No, it didn't. Okay. She wouldn't answer any question as to why or how much or why she needed it so badly. Okay. But then, I mean, like you said, that call freaked you out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. All right. So let's move now forward. Once again, you tried to call her a couple of times. She wasn't answering. But on April 14th or 15th, um, friends of uh, your mother's and maybe Williams too saw them. Where were they? What were they doing? Um, I believe they were probably at the bar together, um, where the friends always are, mm-hmm. and and that's just that's the last that we know. And once again, you didn't find out this uh, about this until after. She disappeared. Uh, did, did you get to talk to these people personally, or did the cops talk to them? What was the situation there? Sure. I didn't talk to them personally. Mm-hmm. I believe it was the local investigator who was able to kind of narrow down that time frame. I mean, mm-hmm. fortunately, it is a small town. There's only so many bars and places that they frequented, so it was um, I'm assuming relatively easy to put that timeline um, into place. Okay. All right. So let's go to April 16th, which we believe is a very important date uh, for this disappearance. Um, I, I know you you hadn't talked to her since the 12th, but what is William Golson's statement regarding this day? What have you found out about this day? Of course, we don't know it to be true or not, but what have you been told about that day? So April 16th is the day I finally got a call back from my mom's house number. Between the 12th and the 16th, I was calling her eight to 10 times a day, probably both her cell phone, leaving voicemails until it wouldn't let me leave voicemails anymore, huh. um, leaving multiple messages on her home answering machine. Um, you know, and finally, I was like, you know, Bill, if you are, if anybody is hearing this message, like, I need somebody to call me back. 
and I, he called me back and he was very nonchalant, like couldn't believe I was so upset and so worried about my mom. And he's like, we had a fight four days ago. She left. He's like, I figured she was on her way down to see you guys. Hmm. And I was like, well, then she should be here by now. She's not here yet. Like, you know, asking him, I'm not sure what exactly I asked him, but, you know, trying like, when's the last time you saw her? When is, you know, and he's like, I saw her a couple of days ago and we had a big fight and she packed a bag and left. Hmm. And this is, of course, he's telling this before you knew that they had been seen together like the day before, or two days before that. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Okay. So he didn't seem worried at all. Um, he didn't even ask if she got there. Uh, nothing like that. He just seemed like, yeah, she took off. What are you going to do? Yeah. Okay. Yep. He, she took off. She told me to take care of, take care of the house. And that, I think that's what really set that something's wrong in my gut because my mom had worked so hard for that house. She had two yellow labs, you know, I mean, just like she wouldn't do that. Okay. So had you ever talked to William Golson on the phone phone one-on-one before? Like I said, we know you never met him in person, but had you talked to him on the phone before? No, no. So that was, I'm going to say that's your one and only phone conversation ever with him on the phone forever. My one and only conversation wow. ever. Okay. And once again, you said he was uh, nonchalant, didn't seem too bothered by what was going on. He said that your mother was headed your way and we should explain there in Polson, Montana, you're in Colorado. So South of them. Um, so what happens after that? When do you really start thinking, and maybe your brother too, that, you know, something's up here. So my brother's birthday was April 23rd. And after that conversation, I obviously called my brother and he was getting ready to go on a trip for his birthday. And, um, my mom knew about that trip. So we we were kind of like, well, like if she's not answering her phone and she's not with Bill, then we will just we both just kind of knew if she didn't reach out to my brother on his birthday, then we needed we, then we really needed to be worried. We were already worried, but we we're like, there's maybe she needed to kind of think. Maybe she's driving down to Colorado and she'll be here any day. You know, it just we had that hope that she finally got away from this guy and was coming down to see us. Mm -hmm. And once again, we have to remind the listeners, maybe once again, at this point, you don't know about any of those charges. And in fact, William Golson surely knew about those charges, but he never said something like, well, she was getting charged with this stuff and she took off. She did not say that on April 16th. No, he didn't. Okay. So April 23rd, your brother's birthday, that's when um, you get really, really concerned. Um, and then after that, uh, there was a graduation. What, what about the graduation? When do you think that was? And that was kind of, I think that was kind of like the final straw for you, wasn't it? Right. Well, um, so April 23rd, when 
was no communication from my mom. That is when I called the Polson Police Department and asked for a welfare check or to file a missing person. You know, I, I was like, I don't know what to do. I, I need finding my mom. I'm in Colorado. Um, May 5th was my brother's college graduation. And um, that was the day she was supposed to arrive in Colorado. That had been our plan for months. She was going to arrive in Colorado for the graduation. Um, and graduation came and went and still no mom. Mm-hmm. Did the police in that time go over to her house? Did they have an encounter with uh, William Golson? Did they get a knock on his door? What, what, what was going on there? They did. Um, after my phone call, they did go by the house and um, obviously my mom wasn't there Mm -hmm. and that was the feedback that I got was nothing seemed weird nothing seemed out of place but she wasn't there okay they'd tell you about any cars in the driveway because her truck is going to play a a part here very shortly they didn't say about seeing any cars in the driveway didn't say if William Golson was home or how about her dogs were the dogs there anything like that no, um, they didn't say anything about vehicles, and if Bill was there, I don't recall. Um, and the dogs, the gentleman that my mom worked with sometimes fixing docks, he had the dogs. Oh, he had the dogs. Um, it wasn't unusual for if my mom was traveling or, you know, getting working or doing something this man would have the dogs they kind of shared them. He was a older gentleman and the dogs kept him company. And then my mom could take him so he could have a break from them. Okay. All right. So we have the birthday on the April 23rd, May 5th, the graduation. She's not there, but at this point of May 5th around there, uh, no missing persons report had been found yet. Had it? I don't believe so. No. Okay. So when would you say that the investigation uh, into your mother's disappearance really kicked in? When, you know, what happened after May 5th that uh, started it going? Would you say that it was when her truck was finally found or was would you say that it happened before then? Um, your, reco- really your best recollection. Think- <laughs> right. I really don't think anything started happening until my brother and I drove up to Montana to try to find answers. Mm -hmm. Um, The local police, I mean, they, they had started looking at ATM surveillance and, you know, like there was some things that were happening, but it was very apparent to us. They were treating this as a, um, adult who decided to walk away from life, not an endangered adult. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, when we found her truck, that was, you know, they were like, well, see, yep, it's right walking distance to the airport. We knew it all along. And it, if it weren't for my brother and I being there when they were processing the truck and insisting that there's no way 
that any of this makes sense. There's no way that our mother parked mm -hmm. across a shopping center from an airport just disappearing. No, but we should all. But we, if I may, though, we should also make clear once again that at this point, you and your brother still didn't know about these charges against her. That was still not something you knew right at that second. Um, yes, we did find out the end of April. Okay, you finally did find at the end out at the end of April the charges against her. Yes, so the conversations with the U.S. Marshal and her attorney all happened um, between April 23rd and May 5th. All right. So no? Okay, so you're looking for, and that's the question I was going to ask, so you're not the only people looking for her. There are other people, her attorney, like you said, U.S. Marshal Service, and then that's when you find out, hey, she's involved in this other thing. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you and Jake go up to Montana, try to figure out what's going on. Um, while you're there, this truck is found. Her truck is found, and we're going to talk about that specifically in a moment. But you also find out about the U.S. Marshal. You find out about the attorney. I'm sure you're very shocked by that. But at what point was the missing persons report filed? Do you remember the date? And I know my report was on April 23rd. Okay. Um, but I'm not sure the legalities of when it went from a I want to report I think my mom is missing. I need a welfare check to it actually being classified as missing persons with the police. Okay. Okay. So you, uh, what date do you believe, what dates do you believe that you were up in Montana and how long were you there? We were there for about a week, the end of May, um, like the middle of the second to last week to the middle of the last week of May of 20, 2005. Okay. Now, being that you said you've never met William Golson in person, I guess that means that while you were up there, you never ran into him, even though you went over to your mother's house. Right. He was not at the house any longer. He was gone. Okay. He had and taken all of his belongings, and he was gone. Okay. And we're going to certainly talk about that in a bit. But let's rate... Right now, talk about your mother's truck. It was discovered, I guess coincidentally, um, while you were up there. Uh, where was it? Um, you know, what city was it in? Where was it parked? Um, tell, tell the listeners as much as you know about that. Sure. Um, so while we were there, we did get a phone call from the investigator that their um, request um, to on her license plate the truck had been located in Missoula, which is about 90 miles south of Colton. It's, um, Missoula is also where the closest airport is. So the truck was found in a Barnes & Noble parking lot in one of those big shopping centers. Mm -hmm. um, and where the truck was parked, um, you know, those big buildings, and they'll have like the drive that goes down in between the two different sections and it was not so much a fire line but it's like where you park when you're just running into the store briefly mm -hmm. um you know and so at this point we're looking at her being 
gone for over a month and um, for it just to have been noticed in that spot where people are walking by it constantly. So it was parked in a, a very conspicuous space. It wasn't in a regular parking space where people could go by it for days and really not pay attention to it. It's parked, parked somewhere where people would obviously see it. So is it your impression it hadn't been there very long? That's my belief, yes. Okay. Um, was there any video that they were able to check? And was there anything strange about the vehicle once they got inside it, if they did? Um, to my knowledge, there, if they pulled any, if there was any security footage outside of the Barnes & Noble, I'm not aware of that. Okay. Um, inside her truck were her glasses that she needs for driving and a duffel bag full of just random, like some summer stuff, some winter stuff, a shoe that didn't have its pair. Um, I mean, it was very strange. Mm -hmm. uh, was her phone found, a purse found, uh, anything like that? Any Anything unusual about the vehicle? Was it dirty? Anything that stood out to you once you got to see it? Um, I mean, the only weird thing was just the way the bag was left, like, on the front seat. And, mm -hmm. um, I mean, there wasn't anything, you know, they didn't find any receipts, recent receipts. They didn't find any, um, she didn't have a purse. She just carried a wallet. And that was in there with her driver's license. Um, but no, I mean, it wasn't abnormally clean or abnormally dirty. Mm -hmm. Um, they had moved the seat before we were able to, I mean, obviously we're not going to jump in front of the police, but yeah. so I, it'd be too hard to tell if the seat was, she was a pretty tiny lady. So I, would be hard to tell if the seat had been moved for a taller person to drive it or not. Okay. Did you say that her, that her wallet was in the vehicle or it wasn't? It was or wasn't? I believe it was because the police did recover her driver's license. They okay. um, had her driver's license and they took her passport from her house. Okay. Was her, that. All right. Was her phone ever found? No, it was not. Okay. Her phone was never found. Uh, do you know if the cell phone was ever pinged to determine its last location? Uh, did you ever get any information regarding that, especially going back to April 16th? If they did try that, I was not made aware of it. Okay. So they never have told you, well, it bounced off this tower first up there in Polson, Montana, or that it bounced off some tower down in Missoula. Uh, no records of it being used. You, they may have the records. You just don't know what they are all these years later. Right. Yes. If they if they did try seeing her cell phone, they did not let us know what okay. they found or if they even did it. Okay. And to your knowledge. Um, all right. So we have this truck that was found. Uh, very. Maybe you could. Would you call it walking distance from the Barnes and Noble to the airport? Could somebody walk that? 
you'd have to cross a major highway, but yes, it's definitely walking distance. Okay. So we found the truck. Um, where did the where did the truck end up? Did you get it? Did your brother get it? Did it get repossessed? Who ended up? What ended up happening to the truck? Um, they let us pick it up and drive it home. Just like that. Just like that. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Um, okay, so they didn't check it for prints or anything like that. It was just like, oh, here's a truck. You can take it. Yeah, I mean it. It definitely felt like, well, yep, see, she ran, you know, here's her truck, get it out of here so we don't have to ticket it. You know, like, that's really what it felt like. Okay. Did the police in Missoula know that the owner of this truck was missing from Polson when they were saying that? Do you know? I, I don't know. I just know that they had put out the report that they were looking for that vehicle with that license plate. Okay. And in fact, um, we're not going to go do too deep into this, but you, your attitude, I mean, your viewpoint of how the police have handled this, have, uh, their performance has been a little lackluster. Didn't seem like they had the heart in it. That's a good way to say it. Um, I mean, I get it. It's it's a tough case. There's not a lot to go off of, but I, I do feel like more could have been done. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to pick out anybody specifically, but you even had <laughs> nope. somebody who said something that you know really disheartened you. Let's just put it that way. Somebody in the police department. Yeah. Okay, we'll just leave yeah. it at that. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, and I'm sure Polson, Montana, uh, probably doesn't have too many missing people, so they don't have a lot of experience in that area anyway. Um, let's go back to William Golson. You had mentioned that when you went up there at the end of May, when the truck was found, that uh, you did not see him. Um, why didn't you see him? He was running. So not only, um, once again, once again, just to maybe explain this, your mother disappears on April 16th, but sometime between April 16th and when you went up there at the end of May, are you saying that he disappeared too? He did, yes. Okay. Do you believe that he disappeared uh, before the truck was found? Or, of course, we have suspicions regarding that. I do. That, but... Okay. Yes, uh, did I you? Do. When did you find that out that he was missing as well? Uh, while we were up there. Hmm. Okay, so would you say that you found out because the police were looking for him, or did somebody f actually file a missing persons report on him? Do you know? No, I mean, the police had said that they were trying to question him some more, but that he, they could no longer find him. And we had requested his eviction from our mother's house, so, hmm. you know, it's kind of like it's your fault we can't find him <laughs> yeah um but huh. so That's no funny he was that. right so he was not there while we were there when you found that out i'm guessing that made you very suspicious as well even though it might not have piqued the police's curiosity it certainly piqued yours um, that he was opening up credit card accounts in both my mother's name and my brother's name. And he also ordered a new computer uh, laptop 
it would be easy to travel with. Um, but it was delivered after he disappeared as well. So he ordered it and didn't even stick around to receive it? No, he didn't. Okay. Do you have any idea how much was he able to get any money by opening these accounts? I mean, being that he disappeared, was this like enough money to travel on? What was the extent of this? I I believe it was, it was a smaller amount, a couple thousand. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it wasn't a lot enough to live off of indefinitely for sure. It, you know, it was some cash to travel with. How did you find out about the the police found out about this or did you personally find out about this? Like, did your brother get maybe something in the mail or something letting them know that he had opened account? How did you find that out? Do you remember? Um, we, I, I recall the police telling us that they had actually pulled the footage of him using credit cards at ATMs in town. And then the credit card bills were coming to the house. Um, and I had taken over, I had all my mom's mail forwarded to me. So I got the bill. Um, but once those cash advances, there was no other charges on them. Okay. Did the police at this point, while you were talking to them, now that they know that your mother has disappeared and that William Golson has disappeared, did they ever offer up a theory as to why they were both gone? Not to me, no. I'm mm-hmm. sure they had a theory, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I just need to ask you this specifically. Were the police... Back in 2005, and maybe even to this day, are they still under the belief that your mother fled and maybe maybe thinking back at the time that William Golson fled to meet with her, to be with her? I, I mean, I think that is a plausible theory mm-hmm. um, when you're not looking at the personal side of it, you know. Um, I, I don't fault the police for having that theory. But um, all the other evidence about my mom and who she was and what was important to her makes that a false theory. Of course. um, Yeah. Okay. But being that the, you know, there was the belief out there that she fled because of these charges, you know, that, you know, now that he was gone, I guess you can, you know, the police might be able to put it all together that logically rationally maybe he went to meet her wherever she was of course we don't believe that uh for a variety of reasons but um the police you you've kind of led me on to believe that maybe that's the the theory they were trying to push now we're now we also have to remember that golson had some charges against him his daughter had these um sex charges brought against him i'm guessing that uh were these charges filed in polson or were they filed somewhere else I want to say uh, not in Polson. It was either in Missoula or in Washington State. I know the daughter lived in Washington, but I he served his time in Montana. So, okay. 
Okay. So were there other people, I mean, looking for him for those reasons too? Uh, absolutely. Okay. I believe that because that his daughter's case was an active investigation and he had been charged. So, okay. So that might've given him a good reason to run that more than anything else. Um, but he was found. Now we should know though, that although your mother has not been found, William Golson was found. Um, and I know you know a little bit about that. Why don't you explain to the listeners how that all happened when it happened? Sure. So he was found and we were notified by the Polson uh, police department. Um, once he was back in custody in Montana, but, um, he was found in Tennessee totally by happen chance. Um, he, he walked out of his hotel room at the wrong time when the police were knocking on somebody else's door. So fortunately those police officers thought something was off and ran his ID and found the warrant for him out of Montana. So he's found in Tennessee. Uh, do you have any idea how long he had been there? I mean, I, once again, I know this his case isn't the only reason you're concerned about him is because um, of your mother's disappearance. But did you ever find out how long he had been uh, been living there? What he had been doing there? Does it seem like he might have gone there directly after your mother disappeared? I know anything about that? That yeah, unfortunately, I don't know anything okay. about how long. He he was there. I mean, I'd always just figured that he had been hitchhiking his way, you know, as far away from Montana as he could get. And okay. so who knows where he was in the meantime. Okay. Now, the funny thing, though, is he never changed his name, did he? He was he ran, but no. he was still William Golson. Yes, he was. Okay. So they brought him, they found him, they brought him back to Montana to answer for these charges. Um, there's some good things about that, and then there are some bad things about that. Why don't you explain both of them? Well, the good thing is that he was um, charged and imprisoned, and um, I really hope his daughter found the piece that she needed from that and um the bad news is is that uh all the evidence that we had linking him to my mother's disappearance was dropped in a plea bargain and that evidence would have been what i believe it was the um footage um or the survey or security camera footage for um the cast cash withdrawals and then just the paper trail that we had and um, for him opening up those account fraudulent accounts so uh are we to believe then that he can never be charged on those things ever again i mean that was part of the plea deal that those things go away is that your understanding that's what it i mean that's my understanding of it yeah okay so um as part of a plea deal, I don't know why they would do that. Seems like maybe maybe they didn't think they had a, a strong enough case against him. But those charges, once again, the, the money charges, the fraudulent bank charges, and all that were dropped. Um, 
he, how long did he serve? And he's out now, isn't he? He is. Wow. Yes, I believe he served 12 years. Twelve years. 10 or 12. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he was in yeah. there. For, he was in there for a long time, but I, I yeah. guess what you're saying is he just got out recently. Yes, I believe so. Okay. Have you ever had a chance to talk to his daughter, the one who brought the charges against him? I haven't ever talked to her. Um, I have emailed a couple times with her mom. Yeah. And have you talked about, and if you can say, I mean, have you talked about your mother, Ellen? Um, my if you, if you can say, emails, if you can say. Yeah, no, we didn't talk specifically about my mom. Okay. All right. All right. So we have this disappearance. We have her boyfriend who disappeared. He's caught in Tennessee a couple years later. Comes back, answers those charges, spends time in jail, but now he's out. But your your mother is still missing. Um, it, it, do you think that there's any chance in the near future, now that he is out, that the police are going to question him again? And when was the last time you had any interaction with the Polson Police Department? Um, I have not had any interaction with Polson Police Department um, since that visit, other than a few phone calls over the next couple of years, um, you know, 2005 to maybe 2008. Um, my brother had a few more interactions, and I know he went in to see them when the courts did finally issue a death certificate for her. Um, but I don't believe that he'll ever be questioned about anything regarding my mother's disappearance. What do you think the attitude is of the Polson Police Department in regards to your mother's disappearance? Uh, once again, I know you haven't had a lot of interaction with them, but do you believe that they think that William Golson did something to her, or do you think that they still hold the idea that they had back in 2005 that she probably ran off? Um... I think now that it's been 13 years, um, I think they believe that something did happen. I don't think they think she ran for this long, but at the same time, um, you know, it is. It's a hard case. There's very little evidence of anything. Um, but I think I missed in those early days that may have some better clues. Things were missed. They never went into the house. They never tried to see if there was any signs of violence in the house, um, anything like that. It is usually done on what we would call just outright, quote-unquote, murder cases where there's a body or something. The police didn't do anything like that. Right. Okay. Now, when this happened back in 2005, as you've told the listeners, you were a new mother at the time. Um, and I, these last 13 years, uh, I'm sure have not been easy. No, no, it's not. I, um, there's never a good time to lose your parent, but 
especially trying to figure out motherhood and um it's been hard i miss her every day do you and your brother jake talk about her a lot i mean how has he handled this over the last 13 years uh, especially considering that I'm guessing in those teenage years when your parents were divorced, he got to see her a little bit more than you did. Right. Um, he definitely had a very angry reaction. Um, he felt like there was, he should have done more. He holds a lot of blame that he wasn't able to save her. And, um, you know, I think that's just, where we're at with it. I mean, it's not having closure is one thing, but to know that she was definitely suffering through the last part of her life is a devastating way to remember your, your mother. And both of her parents are gone now and they died without having any answers. And, um, it's, wrecked that side of the family um in a certain way losing her and um you know it the ripple effect of something like this goes on for generations my daughters yeah. still talk about grammy l and how much they wish they could have known her my youngest is a spitting image and um you know, they will never know the kind of love that she had for them even before they were born. Yeah. Yeah, these disappearances, uh, I've done 90 of them now, that uh, they do, it's a good that's a good way to put it, they do have a ripple effect. That, you know, it, even disappearances that happened 40 years ago, they still have an effect today in 2018. People who weren't even born at the time that the disappearance happened these days, they still feel it. That is true. I think that's mm -hmm. an excellent way to put that, Brianne. Um, do you have a Facebook page or anything like that set up uh, for your mother that where we can point uh, listeners to? Um, I don't. I just have my personal page. Um, we had unpunishing person's things before but mm -hmm. um, with things going so cold and quiet so fast um, it was too hard to maintain for me personally so yeah. okay all right that's fine any final uh, words before we complete this interview Brianne well I truly hope that I just, I do feel like there's somebody out there that knows something, that heard something. I mean, I still live in a small town. I, I know how it works. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all we truly want at this point is to be able to put our hearts at rest and, if possible, put our mom to rest and be able to honor her the way that she deserves and um you know the anger is gone the fear is gone we just we miss our mom and any kind of answer would bring so much peace and um just a lightening of our hearts 
that, you know, I just, I truly am hopeful that someday we'll get some kind of answer. And I hope that Unfound can make that happen. Uh, uh, There's no doubt this is a tough case. No doubt. Um, This is one of uh, many tough cases that Unfound has covered in the last year and a half. Uh, I I know that you and I will continue to uh, keep in contact with each other. I know the listeners, of course, once this is up on the Internet, that it's not going away ever. So a lot of people are going to probably find out about your your mother's disappearance that don't know about it right now. And I'm hoping some of the listeners uh, have some opinions, maybe people up there in Montana that uh, can help in in some way and maybe know a little bit more. Maybe somebody knows William Golson and and can come forward. And let's try to get those... Uh, the police department up there working a little harder than it seems they have been. That's always uh, something that good that's good that, that can be done. But um, we'll try to do all that, you know, for you, Brienne. I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you so much, Ed. I appreciate it very much. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Brienne Edwards, daughter of Ellen Sloan. I thank her for joining me and all of you on the program. We fought through some cell phone issues during the interview, and I appreciate Breanne being patient as we tried to get the best reception. I think there's going to be a segment of the audience that will scoff at the idea that a person would run away from the situation Ellen was in. Instead, they will focus their attention on William Golson, and I want you to know that attitude makes perfect sense. However, before you go too far down that path, I urge you to check all of the stories of people, both famous and not, who have fled countries due to tax problems. And if they'd return to their home countries, they'd be thrown in jail. It's quite a few, if not the millions, since, say, the beginning of the 20th century. This is the reason I tend to give the police a break back in 2005. I'm not sure how much they really knew about William Golson at the time. Brienne never met him. Jake only met him a few times. And who knows that the police even knew that Golson was charged with sex crimes while they investigated Ellen's disappearance. So, once again at the time, no reason to necessarily suspect Golson, despite him also being missing. But now with the passing of time, and I have to tell you, after almost two years of doing Unfound, it's amazing what the passing of time can show about unsolved missing persons cases. I think the disappearance and the tax troubles can be separated. In fact, they are only tangentially linked by one obvious fact, that William Golson needed Ellen Sloan for her money. Once the money dried up, due to the tax problems, that Ellen's relationship with Golson became dangerous. Like I said, though, at the time in 2005, I can understand why the police might have had a hard time seeing it, especially due to some of the things Brienne told me about the police's attitude in this case. So I think Ellen's fear of going to jail was real. But I think at the end, especially with the call to Brienne, I think Ellen's fear of Golson was bigger. And he should be seen as the one and only reason that Ellen Sloan isn't with us in 2018. With that, I'll leave the rest of the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a great review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.